0: Heavenly Father, Lord, we come this morning in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who has granted us the legal right to be heard by you. We come by the Holy Spirit who has given us the power to say things that are acceptable to you. We come as your people that you redeemed by your precious blood, that you redeemed from the slave market of sin, where we were doing the bidding for the devil, being children of wrath. We pray, Lord, and thank you for this time of fellowship and communion as saints, learning the truth about Christ and what he has done for us. And Lord, may you grant understanding to your people this morning. May you open their hearts that they may hear and see the reality of Christ. That they may understand what this work is about. That it is a work of the glorious Son of God who is displaying His riches and excellences in serving sinners like us. And that after all is said and done, we have nothing but Christ. And may You cause us to see the glory of Christ from Your Word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we are in part three of our teaching that we began as an offshoot from the book of John, the baptism with the Holy Spirit, and we determined that it was an excellent time and point for us to get more understanding, to hear what the scriptures say about this doctrine because there are many things that are being said and done in the name of baptism with the Holy Spirit. Some of the things that are not common to the body of believers in Christ. So we would wonder why something which is not common to the body of believers would be made a requirement on all believers and we sought out to learn more from the book of acts what happened on the day of pentecost and we tried to explain the theology surrounding pentecost and today we are going to be in the book of first corinthians Where we see Apostle Paul, or where we see the Lord giving Apostle Paul instruction and understanding about the nature of the gifts and their priority in the church. And their function also in the church. And we are going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Verses 1 to 25. We're actually going to talk about the whole chapter. And we'll finish some time today. 1 Corinthians 14, 1 to 25. And this is what it says. Verse 1. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to man, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, why shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? Even things without life, whether flute or harp, When they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks. And he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so, you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church, and that you seek to excel. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I'll pray with the spirit, and I'll also pray with the understanding. I'll sing with the spirit, and I'll also sing with the understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, how he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say. For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than ten thousand words in a tongue. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips I will speak to his people. And yet for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore tongues are for a sign not to those who believe but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers but for those who believe. Therefore if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues and, and they come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers would they not say that you are out of your mind? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. For us to set our introduction, we have to go to 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 to 3. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? The Corinthian church was an immature church and yet had an abundance of gifts. In the language of Apostle Paul, they were acting like men of flesh. They had re- read too much of the book of first flesh And we're not living as spiritual men but as infants, and this fleshliness and immaturity had resulted in them not being able to eat the solid food. That is the strong teaching about the things of the gospel. And as a result, they remained infants in Christ. Why? Because their state of immaturity And fleshliness compromised their ability to receive truth. They were distracted and were preoccupied with less important things. So their foundation of truth was so weak that they needed to be taught again the elementary things of Christ, the ABCs of the gospel. And by this the apostle is saying... They are not even at sentence construction level. They are still learning how to shape letters of the alphabet of the gospel. They are not able to process the meat. And even after a time that they were expected to have grown, they were still not able to. And what is that saying? Even to us this day. It's saying that if you remain fleshly, there shall not be any spiritual growth and where there's no spiritual growth people cause a lot of problems so what is the other way that this immaturity and fleshliness manifested itself it was through divisions quarrels and if you remember in the first chapter they were talking And saying, we are of Paul, and we are of Apollos. And there was jealousy and strife among them. And this is the background to the kind of people that Apostle Paul is dealing with in this Corinthian letter. And now in this part of the chapter, he says, because of your fleshliness and immaturity, you have a serious infatuation Or attraction with spiritual gifts. But you do not understand their proper use and their priorities. You want the gifts so that you can feel important. And as a result of that, you are causing confusion and division in the body of Christ. But he tells them, but God is not of confusion. But God is not of confusion. And the gifts that he has bestowed on the church are there for the edification of the body. And since we have been discussing the doctrine of baptism within by the Holy Spirit, this is an appropriate point and moment to hop into this Corinthian letter. Because the Lord used this occasion to explain to us how the gifts of the Holy Spirit work in the church, and what their priorities are. But before we do that, we're going to do a little bit more background. We have thus far argued that the baptism with, or in, or by the Holy Spirit is a universal experience of all who are being served, so that none can say Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Spirit. We have argued that baptism with the Holy Spirit is the work of the Messiah alone, and he alone gives the Holy Spirit to all without degrees of being born again. What is given in measure or degrees are the individual gifts and their expression. So the filling with the Holy Spirit is not the language of a new birth. Filling with the Holy Spirit is not a language of being born again or regeneration. Rather this is the language of empowerment for the work of the ministry. So to be filled with the Holy Spirit does not necessitate that one should always speak in tongues but that one should be equipped with the power, with the knowledge, wisdom, understanding and ability to witness and perform a work in the ministry of Christ is given for the service in the body of Christ. We learned that speaking in tongues was given as a sign, a sign so as to draw attention to the gospel as prophecy was being fulfilled. They were used as a tool for witnessing as the church was being officially established or inaugurated. And the establishment and inauguration of the church was authenticated by tongues and other miracles. And now that the church is established, the availability of these signs have definitely dwindled. And in the context of the church teaching is more important and needful for the growth of believers. And with that understanding in mind, we want to hear more detail on the Lord's teaching about this matter. And we are not going to impose our opinions on the matter because the scriptures have talked to this particular aspect. So we are going to hear Apostle Paul tell us that in the context of the church, Understanding the teaching is most important. So whether in prayer, private or public, things have to be taught clearly and with understanding for the benefit of both the hearer and the speaker. He is going to tell us that all who are baptized by the Holy Spirit do not all speak or exercise the same gifts. In 1 Corinthians 12 verses 4, To 11, this is what he says. Now there are varieties of gifts by the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects by the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. And to another, faith by the same spirit. And to another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. And to another, the effecting of miracles. And to another, prophecy. And to another, the distinguishing of spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. And listen to verse 11. But one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he pleases. So what is that saying? That is saying there is no particular gift that is the lowest common denominator among all the people of God other than faith. And let me explain some math. I'm going to have a math class. In math, the lowest common denominator is the smallest number that goes into all the numbers in a set of numbers without leaving a remainder or fraction For example, if you have four, six, and ten, the lowest common denominator is two. Two goes into all the three numbers without leaving a fraction. Three only goes into six without a remainder. Five only goes into ten. Likewise, in salvation, faith is that lowest common denominator that goes into all the saints of God it is common to all tongues would be say a three it only goes into some and not all people do not understand this because they are not allowing this text to say what it is saying the text is clear that these gifts are not given To all, and yet even the ones who do not have particular gifts are saved. So, baptism by the Holy Spirit can therefore not imply that one has of necessity to speak in tongues. For to say that is to make tongues a condition of salvation, and it is to be in disagreement with what we just had. It is being in disagreement with what we've just had. So tongues, just like all the gifts mentioned, were not possessed by all the believers and should not be now. Even at the height at which the Lord was giving these gifts so abundantly in the church, not all spoke in tongues. But let's get more understanding from 1 Corinthians 14. And we are going to take this piece by piece. So we begin with first section, verses 1 to 5. 1 Corinthians 14, verses 1 to 5. This is what it says. Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to man, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy, and greater is one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may receive edifying Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. That's from 1 Corinthians 13.8. This is what the apostle is saying. The arguments in 1 Corinthians 14 are a culmination of what is already been arguing behind. So he says, there is a permanence to love. That is not with all the other gifts. There's a permanence to love that is not with all the other gifts. And thus all the other gifts have a temporary nature to them. They are fleeting. They are like one growing from being a child to being a mature person. So that as they are growing the things that they consider to be important in their childhood, their significance wins. As they get older. And now that they have matured. And grown to be adults. Those things do not have the kind of force and importance as they used to do. So God gave gifts to serve a temporary function. But love is for the mature person. So the person who has matured in their faith is sin. By their love for one another. This is part of what is being conformed to the image of Christ. So it says, pursue love. But for this moment, this temporary moment, desire spiritual gifts. But wait a minute. Not all have the same degree of importance in the body. Desire that you may be able to prophesy, that is, speaking the truth of God with understanding. That you may edify the church. So why prophesy? Why prophesy? Verse 2. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to man, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. So he's saying, if you're speaking in a tongue that you don't understand, and nobody else understands, you're only speaking to God. God because only god understands all languages without an interpreter the one who speaks in an unknown tongue speaks even things they do not understand themselves and so it does not benefit them personally so the one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself but one who prophesies edifies the church do you see the distinction so the one who speaks in a tongue, they edify themselves, but that doesn't help the body of Christ. To edify is to build, is to establish, to enlighten, to inform, or educate in religious truth and knowledge. So the apostle says, the one who prophesies speaks to man for edification and exhortation and consolation. You are enlightening other people. ...with the truth of God. Verse 5. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues... ...but even more that you would prophesy... ...and greater is one who prophesies... ...than one who speaks in tongues... ...unless he interprets... ...so that the church may receive edifying. And what we see from this verse is that... ...the apostle could not wish for all... ...to speak in tongues... ...if baptism by the Holy Spirit automatically conferred tongue speaking to all. Apostle Paul does not despise the gift though. He does not despise the gift and wishes that all God's people would speak in tongues. But he sizes the gifts and says, The one who prophesies is better and greater because all can hear what he is teaching. And the one who speaks in a language, in a tongue, who do better to exercise their gift in the context of the church, and if there's one to interpret. And if there's one to interpret. So what do we see? God is serious about people understanding things. And not just doing things like a headless chicken. Just running without any sense of direction. Just doing things haphazardly. So your mind needs to hear the truth. So I have to speak to your mind so that you can learn. And your mind needs to be renewed with truth. Why? Because your mind was darkened by sin. So the apostle says in verse 6, But now, brethren... If I come to you speaking in tongues, what will I profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching? So he develops more arguments for the inferiority of tongues and says tongues by their nature do not profit anybody. Unless the person speaks by way of revelation and of knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching. Which means these other forms of speaking convey more useful information to the hearer than tongue speaking. And he says these are more profitable ways for the church. So he illustrates the uselessness of tongues in the context of the body of believers and says in verses 7 to 9, even things without life Whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? So what is he saying? He's saying even musical instruments are only enjoyable and sweet to the ears of the listener because they make distinct and purposeful sounds. If it can't produce distinct and good sounds, then it becomes... Annoying. So in verse 8 he says, For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare himself for, for battle? This was a military I- illustration. And what he was saying was, If a trumpet is then used as an instrument to summon and gather soldiers for war, fails to produce a sound that is recognizable to them, the soldiers would not be able to be prepared for battle. And because they are not able to prepare for battle, they are going in and suffer a lot of casualties. Likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken for you will be speaking into the air? So the words that are spoken by tongues have to be easy to understand. Otherwise, they are useless. It is like talking to the wind. And as we know, the wind has no ears and does not care what you say. So what is the point? The point is that there is need for shared understanding in communication. And I may say this. This is one of the reasons why we have to accommodate our teaching to the level of the kids and we meet with them and teach them truth to the level that they understand so that we have a shared understanding of what God is saying. So the apostle's point is you need understanding and you need shared understanding. Verse 10 to 12 There are, it may be so many kinds of languages in the world and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks. And he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. If you do not know the meaning of a language, you shall be a foreigner to him who speaks. And he who speaks shall be a foreigner to you. This is obvious to us all if someone is speaking in a foreign language and you can't hear what they are saying, that's just foreign to you. And if you speak back to them, talk back to them in your own language that they can't understand, guess what? You're just a foreigner to them. So there's no communication there. So shared meaning and understanding is what is central to communication in general and even more importantly, when sharing the word of God. So he says, instead of being overzealous for the gifts For self-glory and self-fulfillment, rather, seek the gifts that edify the body and seek to excel in them. Now it comes to tongues, interpretation, and understanding. 1 Corinthians 14, 13-19. This is what he says, this section. Let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I'll pray with the spirit, and I'll also pray with the understanding. I'll sing with the spirit, and I'll also sing with the understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say? For you indeed give thanks to all, well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. So the apostle says, speaking in tongues should be accompanied with interpretation. And why is that? Because when one prays in a language they do not understand, their mind is not engaged Only their feelings are aroused. But their mental faculties remain disengaged to what is happening. There's no understanding. The expression there is their understanding is unfruitful. So what is the proper way? The proper way is to pray in the spirit and to pray with the understanding. And this is Difficult to understand sometimes to a lot of people what is being said. You have to read the whole argument and context to see what Apostle Paul is teaching. This is what he's saying. He's saying to pray in the Spirit in this context would mean that the true tongues were enabled by the Holy Spirit. So the person is still saying truth because it is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit... Who is talking through them. So the prayer is to ask God to supply the means for this content to be communicated to the person so that they understand what they are saying and also that others can understand. So the issue with prayer is not just that you are the one who is talking to God. You also need to understand what you are saying to God. You have to understand what it is that you're saying to God. So there's a praying to God in a foreign language, in a tongue, in such a way that you don't understand what you're saying, even though what you're saying is right. But the Holy Spirit says he would prefer that you understand what it is that you're saying. And not only that, that those who are hearing you speak also understand what it is that you're saying. So, one can still pray in the Spirit saying things they do not understand. So, praying in the Spirit then means that the content of the prayer has been motivated by the Holy Spirit in them. When you are praying in the Spirit, it means your heart has been moved. The things that the Lord has brought to your attention have been motivated by the Holy Spirit. So, how can we tell that we are praying in the Spirit? We can tell, if we can hear what we are saying, we can tell that we are praying in the spirit by the content of what we say. The content has to exalt the deeds of God. The content has to exalt the deeds of God. Remember what was happening at Pentecost. They were exalting the deeds of God. So what deeds of God? The work of God through Jesus Christ. So you can't just storm your way into the presence of God with your own stuff. You can't just storm your way into the presence of God with your own stuff. That's not praying in the spirit. You have to bring the things of Christ back to God in your prayer. So praying in the spirit is is not a matter of encrypted speech as such, but rather of the content of what is being said, the truth that is being said of God and Christ. So then whether praying or singing, because it's not just praying or even singing, understanding is important. The content of what is being prayed or sung has to give understanding to the things Of God and Christ. So, praying or singing with understanding has to be in a discernible language. And it's important for the sake of others who are unlearned about your teaching or prayer, or those who are new to the doctrines of the church, or those that have a different gift, so that all can say Amen. And that is to say, Praise the Lord. So he is saying the manner of gathering and exercise of gifts is for ministering to others and their edification and glorifying God. So it's not about you and your things. It's not about you and your kids. This tongue speaking and understanding is really a huge concern to the apostle because he keeps Hammering it away. He has dedicated the whole chapter to just talk about it. So he says again in verses 18 to 19. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church I would rather speak five words with my understanding. That I may teach others also than ten thousand words with the tongue. So the apostle says. When it comes to tongue speaking, there's none who beats me. I speak tongues better than you all, but in the context of the church, when the church is gathered together, I would rather speak just a few words that someone understands than 10,000 words that nobody hears and understands. So the truth has to be spoken in a shared language, If there's going to be a shared understanding. So Paul repeats this for emphasis because he wanted to put out the wordliness in them. He wanted to bring them to maturity as believers. But even more to give them the means by which they were going to come to maturity. So he emphasizes to them that the most useful gift is to prophesy. Prophesying is the most important gift in this context and he was not talking about predicting the future here. If you are are reading what the apostle is arguing, he is not talking about predicting the future. He is talking about teaching. To prophesy in this context is to teach, is to bring an understanding, is to bring knowledge That gives understanding to those who are hearing. And the apostle is doing this because prophecy, in the way that he uses it as an equivalent of teaching, gives truth and understanding. And this is what they needed to grow from all the commotion that they were in. So in verses 21 to 25... The apostle summarizes the point that he made in the beginning. He says pursue love, that's what he said in the beginning, and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. So what he has been doing in this whole chapter is to put everything in its proper context and say, okay, desire the spiritual gifts, but you have to have a proper understanding on how they actually work. And if your desire for spiritual gifts is causing the kind of division that I see, the kind of nonsense that I see, then you need to be taught right. And let me tell you what you need. Everything is happening because you are not being taught right. You need to be taught. You need someone to stand up who has a teaching and let them share their teaching in a way that everybody can comprehend. So he says in verses 20 to 25. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips I will speak to these people. And yet for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore tongues are for a sign. Listen to that. Not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, would they not say that you are out of your mind? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all. He is convicted by all. And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among him. So in verse 20, he ages for maturity. He ages for maturity. And he uses the characteristics of different age groups. The behavior characteristics of different age groups. He says, if you look, do not be children, be babes, but in understanding, be adults. So he says, do not be children in understanding. That is, do not be foolish, but in malice, when it comes to things that are bad, be like infants. Newborns who neither speak nor do evil. But in understanding, be like adults, be mature and discerning. And so it goes and quotes Isaiah 28 verses 9 to 11, which we briefly talked about and we are going to take a little bit of time to weave in the understanding because Apostle Paul went in and used it to explain the nature and relevance of tongues. He says, Isaiah 28, 9 to 13. I decided to go all the way to verse 13. This is what he says. To whom would he teach knowledge? And to whom would he interpret the message? Those just weaned from milk, those just taken from the breast. So this is what is happening. Here, Israel is ridiculing the word of the Lord to them through the prophets. They are mocking him and saying, he will teach us knowledge. We do not need Yahweh to teach us knowledge. We are not infants. And they are saying this as a rhetoric question. And to whom would he interpret the message? Those just weaned from milk. So they are saying God cannot teach them anything. Rather, he can teach only the infants, those just weaned from the milk, those just taken away from the breast. Israel is saying they are tired of him repeating things to them like their children. And these are the ones that he can and should teach the alphabet. So basically they are saying we are not children, we are not like infants if God has to teach us He has to teach the infants. Let him teach them the A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Not us. So in verse 10 to 13, the Lord is responding to that statement. The Lord responds to that statement and he mocks them back the same way they were mocking him. This is what he says. For he says, Order on order. If you have a different translation, it may say command on command. Order on order, order on order. Line on line, line on line. A little here, a little there. Indeed, he will speak to these people through stammering lips and a foreign tongue. He will say to them, Here is rest, give rest to the weary, and here is repose, but they would not listen. Hear this, verse 13. So the word of the Lord to them would be order on order and order on order, line on line, line on line, a little here and a little there, that they may go and stumble backward, be broken, snared, and taken captive. Now that's very interesting. What is that saying? The Lord says to them, it shall actually be as you have said mocking me you shall indeed be taught by a strange tongue and a stammering lip in a foreign country as you are carried away into captivity by a people whose language you do not know the Babylonians the Assyrians and they are going to speak to you with an unintelligible language and this language you shall be forced to learn just like infants. What is, God, what is God saying? He's talking about judgment. And my judgment on you shall be according to your own words. It shall be command on command. That is, order on order for your punishment. It shall be line by upon line. Carefully measured. stretched over you to mark your destruction. And it shall come upon you at different times. And to different degrees. A little here and a little there. Till I have accomplished my judgment that I have threatened against you. So Apostle Paul reaches out for this text in Isaiah, and gives it a New Testament interpretation. And he says, just as with the situation with unbelieving Israel, a foreign tongue has a context that needs to be understood. Israel, in the Old Testament, had and learned a foreign tongue. Why? Because of unbelief. Israel got in trouble and learned a foreign tongue Because of one thing, it was unbelief. And so God took them into captivity by other nations as a sign and punishment of their unbelief. So Apostle Paul ties this and says, even for the New Testament tongues, are spoken to those who are unbelievers. Just as Israel was spoken to by other foreign nations In foreign tongues because of their unbelief. So he says, verse 22 Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Let's get some more. So, who prophesied in the Old Testament? It were the believers. The believers prophesied. The prophets who were in the Old Testament prophesied to who? To the unbelievers. They prophesied to the unbelievers. So in the context of the church, tongues are not a sign for those who believe. Because we are the ones who prophesy in Words that men can hear. But for believers, just as the parables were for hiding truth from unbelievers. So these are the two important things that we need to understand. In the context of tongues, there are two things. We have unbelief there. If you remove unbelief, there's no tongue. That's what that is saying. In the old and the new, the context always has unbelief in it. And that's why Apostle Paul goes to Isaiah 28 and draws it. Unbelief is what is going on there. Listen to this. The Lord Jesus Christ, when he was speaking... He spoke in parables. And we are going to find that from Matthew. And we are going to tie this. Because it's the same theology. It's the same teaching. Because parables were for hiding truth from unbelievers. Parables were for hiding truth from unbelievers. And that's why the Lord Jesus Christ, when he was speaking, would say, let him Let him hear who has ears to hear. In the history of God's dealing with these people, a foreign tongue was used in the context of judgment due to unbelief, as we just learned in Isaiah. So the underlying theme and larger context of a foreign tongue in this theology, is God's work in revelation? Is God's work of revealing truth to some and hiding truth from others? And his use of instruments in dealing with unbelief and his punishment of those who can't hear. So, Israel was sent into captivity into nations that spoke a foreign tongue because of unbelief also even now in the context of the tongues that are in the church we know that the tongues are enabled in the context of unbelievers the tongues were not enabled in the context of believers that's what apostle paul is saying that tongues are not for believers Tongues are enabled only in the context of unbelievers. This is a powerful theological point. They are for the benefit of unbelievers, not for believers. That the unbelievers may inquire of the works of God, but even so, they come as a two-edged sword. Because to some, they condemn. As we learn from Pentecost, we had two groups of people there. There are some who said they wanted to understand the meaning of what was going on. And yet there were others who mocked and jeered and said, oh, these guys are on new wine. They are on new wine. And so believers have not much use of tongues amongst themselves because they are not being judged. Believers are already judged in Christ. Believers have already been given the Holy Spirit. They know the truth about God. So God is not speaking to them in tongues as to try and hide things from them. And this is not new theology. The Lord Jesus spoke and taught in parables when he designed to hide things from people. Listen to this. A parable is a story told to illustrate and teach a spiritual truth. A parable is a story told to illustrate and teach a spiritual truth. In the context of what we are discussing, we are going to see a parable a continuity or a unity to God's sovereignty in opening truth to some and closing it to others. To properly understand what is happening, you have to have an understanding of God's sovereignty. There's an issue of God's sovereignty in Revelation here that cannot be ignored. Matthew 13, 10 to 17. Very important text. Sorry, Matthew 13... 10 to 17. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? He answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance, but whoever does not have, Even what he has will be taken away from him. Verse 13. Therefore I speak to them in parables. Listen to that. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophets of Isaiah. So the Lord goes and quotes Isaiah 6, 9 to 10 is fulfilled. Apostle Paul goes to Isaiah. The Lord Jesus Christ goes to Isaiah to explain the same phenomena. Listen to this. Which says. Hearing you hear and shall not understand. And seeing you see and not perceive. For the hearts of these people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. And their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes. And hear with their ears. Lest they should understand with their hearts and turn. So that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes. For they see. And your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So parables are like one who speaks with a foreign tongue to the uninitiated hearer. That's the design. The parable is designed to separate Words are spoken, but the truth is revealed to some and hidden to others. So here the Lord himself on the purpose of the parables. Verses 34 to 35. All these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables. And without a parable, he did not speak to them. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. Saying... I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. So parables and tongues were mainly given to fulfill prophecy. Parables and tongues were mainly given to fulfill prophecy. In Acts 2, the tongues are given in the context of what? Of Joel 28 to 32. And 1 Corinthians 14 21, which we just read from Apostle Paul, it was given in the context of Isaiah 28. And the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 13, what we just read, he says this is a fulfillment of Isaiah 6 9 to 10. So, the parables and tongues are achieving the same thing. They are there to seal the condemnation of the unbelievers. The Lord Jesus Christ says, I'm not going to speak clearly to them, lest they hear and they come to me and I save them. So he's saying, I don't intend to save everybody. So to some, I don't open myself, I hide things to them, I speak to them in a way. That they don't understand. But to those who are of mine. I reveal things to them. So he says to the disciples. To you it has been given. To understand these things. It doesn't save everybody. So the Lord spoke to them. In a language that they could not. Interpret the meaning. But to his disciples. The Lord spoke clearly. Not as with a foreign tongue. And this is pure sovereignty. And this is election. People say, oh, God does not choose. No, he does. Because if he wanted everybody to understand, he would speak clearly. Even his disciples say to him later on, when he started explaining to them, he said, well, now you're speaking clearly. To his people, he spoke clearly, and they understand what it is that he's saying. So what we see here is there's a sovereignty to this speaking in tongues. There's a judgment aspect to them because it involves the unbelievers. Because it involves unbelievers. So what are we to learn? We are learning as Apostle Paul has interpreted that tongues are not a standard for the body of believers tongues have not much use for the body of believers. Tongues have not much use for the body of believers. If we are understanding the theology of how God works, tongues have not much use for the body of believers. God's standard practice is to speak clearly to believers and not in parables. But in clear teaching and in understanding. And because of that tongues should therefore not occupy the worship service the way they are in a lot of certain churches. Their proper use is not in the edification of believers. Because as a sign they are for unbelievers. So I can't come here and make this service about tongue speaking when I am talking to believers because the Holy Spirit has said these tongues have not much use for those who have been baptized with the Holy Spirit so what else do we see it is therefore the prerogative of the Holy Spirit as the sovereign Lord to mute some gifts as he sees fit And purposes in the church. It may actually happen. That if you go. And witness the gospel. In some place in the Middle East. Where people cannot witness the truth. The Lord can enable that gift. He can do it. Just for the one person. So as to condemn them. Or to bring them to himself. So it's a double edged sword. But for the ones who have believed. What they want to hear are not tongues. What they want to hear is. His proper teaching that edifies them. So the gift of tongues as described by the Apostle Paul carried an expectation or was accompanied by the gift of interpretation by the person or someone else in the body. So the presence of interpretation in a church body was a necessary tool to discern the authenticity of of the gift. And very important to test what was being spoken. And if they are in the body of believers, there must needs be interpretation because the Holy Spirit gives this accompanying gift. So you can't have a church of 500 people all speaking in tongues and there's not even a single person who knows what they're saying or what anybody else is saying. There has to be someone who says. No. That's not the way to do it. Let's hear what she has to say. And let somebody interpret. Because if the Lord is actually speaking, we want to hear what he's saying. So the issue is not that one speaks in tongues, but that the tongues be consistent with the standard practice and form of what the scriptures teach. If not, they are not of the Holy Spirit. Because God is not of confusion. So in conclusion, the overall teaching and reasonable conclusion is that with regard to a body of believers, tongues are less important to justify a new denomination to be formed around them. To say, we have a denomination whose identity is tongue speaking if this is true then it shows a lack of understanding of the priority of Jesus teaching is the gift that is critical to the building up of the Church of Christ so the Apostle says let all things be done for edification Let all things be done to bring understanding, to educate, to exhort God's people with truth. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. So the issue here is all. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints. So in all the churches of the saints. If the true God is there. They should be order. And if anyone thinks he is a prophet. This is very important. And I like the expression. This is very important. Because it is very important. <laughs> if anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual. Let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. But if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So the Lord says, if you consider yourself to be spiritual, and yet can't be bound by these rules of conduct in the church, then you are not of Christ, and you are not recognized. So if we have a whole congregation... Going crazy. And they say it's because of the Holy Spirit who is causing them to go crazy. The Lord says, no, that's not me. He says, that's not me. Therefore, my brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak in tongues. Now he says, initially at the opening of the chapter, he says, desire spiritual gifts. At the end, he now gives specific He says, desire prophecy, teaching. Desire that the Lord will give you the ability to teach the things of God. But all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner. And of course in this chapter also he has talked about women not supposed to be doing things like preaching in the church. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of rebellious ones who think the the word of God can be accommodated to the times. No, the times have to bend to the word of God. But this is the tongue and understanding that the Lord has given me. This is the tongue and understanding. This is the pattern of the tongue and understanding that the Lord has given me. And this has to be done this way it has to be done this way and i'm going to give you an example Here's an example No kuti mwari wakadanyika kudai kuti wakapo mwana komana wake kwairi wakabere kwa achingova mumwe oga kuti ani nani anotenda kwaari arege kufa asi ave neupenyu singaperi you don't even have a clue what that i just said So, now, you can imagine if the whole sermon was like that. But what I've just said is also glorious. It's saying, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Mm -hmm. You see the difference? Mm -hmm. 1 Corinthians 14, 22. What is that saying? So then tongues are for a sign. Not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is for a sign, not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. That is the way and pattern of tongues and interpretation. So if I was speaking, if Sister were would start speaking in Shona, I could interpret and say, okay, you guys, are not hearing what she's saying. Let me tell you what she's saying. So that's the pattern of what was happening. So it says, if she's speaking in that language, she herself doesn't even know what she's saying. So she has to ask for a gift to be able to understand what she's saying, or as a church body, we have to pray for a gift so that we can interpret what she's saying so that all may benefit from it. So that's what was happening. So that's the pattern. Praise the Lord. Let's go before you in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your throne again in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. To praise your name, glorify you for allowing us to participate in the fellowship and worship of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for Understanding and the interpretation of your word of of your word. You've given us the spirit that we may apply into the things of Christ and gain understanding for the edification of your people. And we ask, Lord, that you bring stability to your people so that they are not moved by every wind of doctrine and that they will sanctify Christ as their only hope and not to be drawn to all these things that are interesting to the flesh. But the end of which is death. We know, Lord, that all life is in Christ. All forgiveness is in Christ. There are many people who are religious. They really want to do things. But what they don't know is that what they need to do has already been done. It's all done, it's finished in Christ. What they need to do is not work, but to believe in him whom you have sent. So, Lord, we are thankful for gathering us again this day. May you keep us, may you be with us as we meet again this Wednesday as we have our communion. Lord, may you come and teach us your gospel, your beautiful gospel of how sinners can be made right before a holy and righteous God. We thank you and we honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.